Courtney. Hey, Sasha. So I found a rat in my house the other day. <gasps> What'd you do? I tried to catch it, give it a little poison. Okay, so no more rat? Well, no, it didn't die. It's still there. That's weird. Yeah, I think it might be Ratsputin. Ra, ra, Ratsputin, it's spoop hour, time for spoop. <laughs> podcast hosted by two Halloweenies. I'm Sasha. I'm Courtney. It's worth noting that neither of us would actually poison a rat. Yeah, I was like, uh, I would just humanely trap it. Yeah, like just trap it it outside. Yes, release it back whence it came. came. Or I would ask it to teach me how to cook. These are your two options with rats. Yeah. They're friends, generally. But we decided that we were really into the Ratsputin joke, because what if all of our jokes from now on are Rasputin themed? Right, Raspberry Poutine. Raspberry Poutine, Ratsputin. Yeah, Rasputin. Let's do it forever. Yeah, though we we overrode our discomfort with it. Yeah. You can find us, as always, at Spoop Hour on Twitter and on Instagram, where we post all of the visual content to go along with this non-visual medium. And then email us at spoophour at gmail.com with any stories, comments, questions, pictures of your pets. If you have a pet rat, it is year year of the rat. It is your rat's time to shine. Let's do this. It is my brother's year. He's going to be 24 this year, so it's his. I I was like, since when has Jeremy had a rat? And why is this the first time I'm hearing about it? My brother is a rat. I'm just kidding. I love him. I got there. But yeah, he's 1996 baby, so he's going to be 24 this year, so it's year of the rat. Rats, rats, rats. (laughs) We have a snack. We have a snack. It's Apollo chocolate from Japan. So it's a Meiji Apollo Chocoreto, if you are familiar with yeah. the Japanese name. It, it's it's a strawberry and chocolate, like, cone. Yeah, it's shaped like the Apollo, like... The, um, the lunar... The lunar, yeah. Oh my god! That's why it's called Apollo. It's well, no, 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 no. I just connected the, my own dots, because I got this, because I was like, this seems like a fun spoop hour snack, oh, but lunar. we're doing Lunar New Year yeah, stuff yeah. today, and I didn't even... I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, Apollo chocolate was <laughs> released in Japan to, like, commemorate... Oh! Yeah. So, yeah. back so in 1969, yeah. nice. I love the little... Oh, Apollo! Yeah. So, if you support us on Patreon... You can help us buy snacks like these. They're so good. We currently have supporters like Boobies and Newbies, Bridget, Caitlin, Cassandra, James, Maureen, Pop Culture Bento, Rain, Sasha. Yeah. And Teresa. Sasha helps. I help because Courtney does so much and I feel like... (laughs) One whole dollar a month. (laughs) It's really helping. That one dollar paid for a quarter of this cone of chocolate. So thank you personally, Sasha. (laughs) And thank you other patrons who aren't sitting on this couch with me. We really appreciate it. As a reminder, we're doing that giveaway where if you send me a screenshot of your donation to Australian wildlife or wildfire relief, we will enter you to have me buy you a Spoop Hour shirt. We've got one entry so far. So if nobody else enters... Slam dunk. Your odds are great, one person who entered. So if you are able to, you, there's no like dollar value threshold, even if you only have like $3 to give to Australian Wildfire Relief. That counts. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's Thank fine. you. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't even have to be like, oh, I made a donation back in January, but I didn't know this was going to be. You can yeah. send me that one. Yeah, I'll count if it. you already donated. IDGAF. We just want to raise some, you know, good support and be yeah. nice people. So anyway, our Patreon is patreon.com slash spoophour. There you can get Bone Cone, our bonus content, and help us buy little chocolate babies. Yeah. Did anything spooky happen to you this week? Yes. Came home yesterday and Mysterious Third Roommate had gotten the mail. Yeah. Very spooky. Who gets mail in this day and age? I'm just kidding. I get a lot of mail because it's the only way my insurance company will communicate with me and they send everything in triplicate. So that's fine. I also get mail. I get mail from people like Dr. Elisa Lucas. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going through the mail. 
getting excited about, oh, look, a card from a pod friend. Oh, look, seven things from my insurance company that are all going to be the same piece of mail because they have to send it to me seven fucking times. And then I notice there's this wrapped, like, Reader's Digest-sized thing that is just labeled Archie Comics. And I had a moment of, did someone tell the CW about me? Oh, no! <laughs> did they find out about my spicy, hot Riverdale takes? And they were like... Haha, fuck you. Here's some Riverdale comics. (laughs) It's Archie. It's just like a compendium of Archie comics. And then I looked more closely at it. It's actually a neighbor must have ordered it and then it got delivered to us Mm. by mistake. But I just thought it was kind of funny and spooky that it would be Archie comics because of all the random mail to receive. It's for a show that is kind of trashy that I really enjoy. Oh my god. Did anything spooky happen to you this week? I feel like something did, and then I now have forgotten about it, which is good. Just put it in the recesses, deep recesses of my memory. That's fine. I did Dump run, that in your mind hole and let it drip out. Run into a student and his mom at a sushi restaurant yesterday. No! And I, I made eye contact with him, and then he immediately looked away and then Thank ran God. past my table because I think he realized that if I was like, hey, his mom, his mom has met me before, but oh. I think she didn't see me. And so that I would have been like, hey, let me tell you about your kid and how he's always playing games in my class when he's supposed to be doing his work. <laughs> and did you see his quarter grade? I hope he does better this quarter. Anyway. What are we talking about this week? Lunar New Year! Yay! Happy New Year! Happy New Year. If you celebrate Lunar New Year, Happy New Year in general. Yeah. We're a week late on this because we collaborated with Maxwell when Lunar New Year was happening. Mm-hmm. So better late than never, right guys? And, and it's, like, a big thing. It is a big thing. And so like, it can take, like, a full week to celebrate. Yeah. I've actually learned a lot about Lunar New Year in, like, the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't realize that Okinawa is, like, the one part of Japan that celebrates Lunar New Year. Mm-hmm. And I thought for the longest time that this, like, New Year's celebration that I go to every year with my parents was, like, just a just a belated yeah, New Year's like, thing and didn't realize that it was, like, an actual actual lunar thing. Lunar New Year, yeah. So we're going to talk about some of the stuff that I learned about that. But Yay. then we'll also talk about just, like, Lunar Lunar New Year. Yeah. Um, and, like, general Chinese spoop because there's a thing that I've been wanting to talk about since December that I kept trying to find a way to shoehorn in. And then I was like, what if we tie it into Lunar New Year? Yeah. Because it's a thing in both Chinese and Japanese folklore. Mm. And then, yeah, I also learned a little bit more about the red lucky envelopes. Like, I think in elementary school, you know, we get those, like, from our teachers when it's like, oh, let's learn about, you know, Chinese New Year. I know the anthropology teacher at my school does that with her Mm -hmm. kids. Like, she puts in, like, a little, like, a little treat and gives the red envelopes out. But my Mm grandmother-in-law, via my fiancé, sends me a red envelope every year, too. So it's it's nice. Full of $2 bills. So, growing up... I don't think I've mentioned this before mm-hmm. on the podcast. My family structure is strange. Yeah. I have a Chinese grandmother, and... Um, yeah. You're also half Mexican. I am half Mexican, <laughs> yes. The Chinese grandmother is not biologically related to me. She was a woman that, uh, when my dad was early into his Navy days, kind of, like, brought him into her family. And so she's like, welcome to my family now. Yeah. <laughs> and so she kind of, like, adopted our wing of the family as a supplemental grandmother. So I grew up calling her my grandma, called her Popo, which is a variation on Mandarin's Waipo, which means grandmother... So my popo used to send us red envelopes mm-hmm. at Lunar New Year. And it was something like, sadly, she passed away when I was very young. I was like five, I want to say, mm-hmm. when she passed. Mm-hmm. And so it was something that I hadn't thought about for a really long time. And my senior year of college, I took Mandarin. Yeah. And when it was Lunar New Year time, our professor was talking about like Lunar New Year traditions and she brought out a red envelope. And I suddenly remembered the red Aww. envelopes that my popo used to send me. And I was like... Oh my god, I'd forgotten about these, but I remember, like, the excitement of holding it, and it always had, like, a gold embossed, like, whatever the year was mm-hmm. on it, and I just remember, like, the excitement of being little and being like, oh my god, this has money in it, this yeah. is so exciting, and, like, calling her and being like, oh, thank you. So, it was just, like, this nice, like, Aww. little memory time capsule from, from my Chinese grandmother that I have. <laughs> Anyway, we are... You ready to kick things off? Yeah, I'm ready to kick things off. Okay. So I'm going to talk about just how Lunar New Year sort of came to be. Cool. Um, so why it's celebrated. So this, a lot of my research came from China Highlights and China Travel. And then my later research about food came from Sup China. Sup China. Sup China. And then um, a couple of like Okinawan like tourism websites. Real quick while we're talking about China, I'd just like to take a moment to say, if you're scared about the coronavirus, it's understandable. If it's really freaking you out, just replace the word coronavirus with flu. Mm-hmm. And yep. if that scares you less, go with that because it's 
very similar. And also, don't be racist. Don't use the coronavirus as an excuse to be racist. Don't be weird to people who look vaguely Asian about it. Just wash your fucking hands and don't lick things that don't belong to you and you're going to be fine. My students and I were talking about this the other day Mm -hmm. because my school is got a very sizable Asian population, Mm -hmm. but it also is extremely diverse, wherein, like, every single category is divided into, like, 20% chunks, (laughs) and so, like, my school is just, like, 100% diverse. Yeah. And so, what's nice is that everyone who's been talking about the coronavirus has been talking about it like, oh, there's this, like, scary disease. Yes. But they haven't been, like, labeling it as, like, an Ugh, Asian from thing. China. Right. And no. so, like, all the Asian kids in my class have been like, yeah, it's, like, more that my friends are just scared about getting sick. Yeah. They're not scared of me. And I was like, well, that's good. That's good, yeah. Like, but I know that that's standard, like, illness prep, particularly if... You have a compromised immune system. If you know people who have a compromised immune system, go or get your flu shot. Yeah, get your flu shot. Wash your hands frequently. Cover your fucking coughs. You disgusting. If you got monsters. your flu shot in the fall, get it again. Yeah, it reminds me. A lot of the discussion about it reminds me of when swine flu oh. came about, or in uh, SARS. For me specifically, swine flu because I was a junior in college. And swine flu, if you don't remember, originated in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I have a very clear memory of being in a communications class, and a girl sitting behind me goes. If it comes from Mexico, like, why are we still letting them in? (gasps) And now, as an adult, I'm like, that bitch 100% voted for fucking Trump. Also, fuck you, that's not how disease works. I would cut her. Oh, yeah. Like, junior year college Courtney did not have the balls to. Grown-ass adult Courtney would be like, I'm going to explain to you all the reasons why what you just said is problematic. Yep. And also, you're a fucking racist asshole. Yeah. So, anyway, don't be a dick. Just wash your hands. Do your best. The, there's higher odds that the flu will kill you. Yes. And like that, that sounds scary. But like also the reason why the news does this every time there's like a new disease is because if you're scared, you're watching the news. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Anyway. Tell me about Lunar New Year. So <laughs> Chinese New Year's Day is called, you, you took Chinese. I sure did. Guonian. Okay. Just Guonian. Okay. So it's, you don't happen to have, uh, hold on. Let me get... Because to- there are four tones. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay, so it's guo nian. Okay, guo, so, guo nian. Guo nian. It goes guo up on nian, nian and it goes down on guo. So guo, guo nian. nian. There you okay. go. In Chinese... So it's spelled the way it sounds, but you have to know where the... the yeah, you gotta are. know. Yeah, yeah the, okay. the tonal. The tonal. It's so. a tonal language. It's fun. In Chinese, which can mean celebrate celebrate the year, or celebrate mm-hmm. a new year, or overcome nian, which the character, which is in Japanese, it's nen which is very close to nyang. That's the other fun part of taking Mandarin having studied Japanese for a lot longer is I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, this is just similar enough to throw me. (laughs) It can mean mean year or the monster nyang. In ancient times, there was a monster named nyang or nyang shou with a long head and sharp horns. It dwelled deep in the sea all year round and only showed up every New Year's Eve to eat people and livestock in nearby villages. Whom among us? Who among us does not do that? I do that every fucking New Year. Nobody bats an eye. So therefore, on the day of the new, Chinese New Year's Eve or Lunar New Year's Eve, people would flee to remote mountains to be avoid to avoid being harmed by the monsters. People had lived in fear of this monster until an old man with white hair and a kind of reddish complexion vis- visited the village. He refused to hide in the mountains along with the villagers, but successfully scared away the monsters by pasting red paper on doors, burning bamboo to make a loud cracking sound, which is like the precursor to fireworks. Nice. And lighting candles in houses and wearing red clothes. When the villagers came back, they were surprised to discover that the village had not been destroyed. After that, every New Year's Eve, people did as the old man instructed, and the monster Nyan never showed up again. This tradition has been continued until present time. You see a lot of red during mm-hmm. the Lunar New Year and has become an important way to celebrate the arrival of the New Year. Another version of this story had it that everyone was hiding in their houses mm-hmm. and then this old man showed up and was asking for food um, and like shelter for the night so mm-hmm. he wouldn't be harmed. And this woman gave him food but said like, you know, you should really like go hide in the mountains or something. And he was like, but I know how to get rid of the thing. And she was like... She, I think she still didn't let him in, but then the next day, like, they didn't, you know, nothing had happened, yeah, right? Nobody got But hit. everything, like, this old man in red clothes showed up, and the woman told the villagers, like, oh, yeah, that's the man who said he knew how to, like, get rid of the dragon, yeah. you know, the monster. And, yeah, and then they were like, oh, we're actually going to listen to him now. Hey! Yeah. So the red envelopes, which we just talked about a m- minute ago... A lot of adults will give red envelopes to children. Red envelope is also called yesui qian, or suppressing sui money. 
So according to legend, besides Nyan, there's also Sui, which was a demon who came out to terrify children while they were asleep. It was said that children who were touched by the demon would be too scared to cry out loud, got a terrible fever, and even became mentally unstable. So to keep children safe from being harmed by Sui, parents would light candles and stay up the whole night. On one year's eve, in an official's family's household, the parents gave their child eight coins to play with in order to keep him awake so as to avoid him being hurt by the demon. The child wrapped the coins in red paper, opened the packet, rewrapped it, and reopened it until he was too tired to fall fall asleep. Then the parents placed the packet packet with the eight coins under his pillow. When Sui tried to touch his head, the eight coins emitted a strong light and scared the demon away. Hmm. The eight coins turned out to be eight fairies. And from then on, giving red envelopes became a way to keep children safe and bring good luck. Aww. Then there's also the legend of Tao Fu. Which, when I was Googling more about Taofu, they kept being like, do you mean tofu? And I was like, no. And so I put, like, Lunar New Year Taofu. And they're like, Lunar did you New mean- Year dishes with tofu. And I was like, did you no! mean Thai food? No, Google, no! stop helping me. So there's an ancient Chinese, another legend that says there are two deities who controlled evil spirits in the ghost world. So there was this huge peach tree that stretched for more than 1,500 kilometers on a mountain in the ghost world. So that's a very large peach tree. That's a big-ass peach tree. To the northeast of the tree, there were two guards named Shentu and Yurei who guarded the entrance to the ghost world. They would catch ghosts who harmed people and send them to tigers as food. Therefore, (laughs) right, just little a snack for the tigers. (laughs) Tigers can have little a ghost as a treat. It's so cute. <laughs> Therefore, all ghosts were afraid of these two guards. And so it was, a, it was believed that to hang a piece of the peach wood with an inscription of the two guards' names on doors could scare evil things away. So then the Chinese people began to carve the appearance of these two deities on peach wood and put it outside of their doors to drive out evil. But then afterwards, people just began to write the names of the two gods on pe- pieces of wood. And then this wood was later called uh, Daofu the original name of the spring uh, festival couplets. Oh. But then by the Song Dynasty, which is 960 to 1279 Common Era, people began to write two auspicious antithetical lines on Peachwood instead of the names of the two guard. And then those two peach pieces of Peachwood Daofu were gradually replaced by two pieces of red paper and Ooh. then evolved into t- today's Chinese New Year's couplets. So, again, it's like, it's kind of evolved from this, you know, defeating evil spirits. It's basically now just a lucky decoration and expresses people's best wishes for the coming year. Oh, that's nice. So it went from, like, keep the evil demons away to now, like, let's bring in luck. Let's bring in good luck, Yeah. yeah. And then there's the story of the door gods. Emperor Taizong of Tang had fallen ill, and one night he lay tossing and turning in his bed and had a bad dream. Ghosts howled and screamed in his head all night. The next day, he told his two best soldiers, uh, Qin Chong and Yu Qi Gong, about the dream. The next night, the good soldiers stood outside the emperor's uh, bedroom door. One held a club and the other an iron rod. In the morning, the emperor said he had slept like a log, but the soldiers could not spend every night guarding the room. Therefore, the emperor told an artist to paint pictures of the two soldiers, which were then hung on the palace gates as guards. Word soon got out that the paintings were guarding the palace against evil spirits. So people started to glue pictures of the two soldiers on the front door of their houses as a talisman for the year, making them into door gods. So since then, pasting pictures of the two door gods on the front of on the front door uh, at New Year's Eve has become a tradition hmm. that continues to today. Sub China has a list of eight lucky foods to eat on Lunar New Year's Eve. So the first one is fish. A whole fish is staple for New Year's celebrations and is intended to welcome prosperity for the entire year. It's customary to serve the fish with the head and tail intact and only eat the me- middle. For there's an expression that means to have both a head and the tail, and it means to be disciplined and finish everything that one starts. Oh. Um, then the remaining parts of the fish should be eaten the next day to symbolize the surplus that will overflow into the future. And then for added luck, the fish should face the guests or elders as a sign of respect. Hmm. Um, dumplings, my favorite, mm. are another one. They represent wealth because of their close appearance to Chinese gold ingots, which are kind of oval boat-shaped hunks of gold used as currency in imperial China. So a lot of families will wrap their own dumplings and then, like, as a way of, like, signifying, like, leaving the old year behind. And mm-hmm. also, I think it's, like, fun to do. Yeah. Um, and Who then, doesn't like spending time in the kitchen with their family? Right? And then some families will also hide a coin in one of the dumplings, and whoever receives that dumpling is believed to have a prosperous new year. Mm. Chicken. A whole chicken is usually served to represent family togetherness. It's 
also may can also be considered like representing rebirth mm -hmm. and then you should serve it in in its entirety with head and feet intact and then in some households the chicken's feet are reserved for the breadwinners of the family to help them grasp onto wealth <laughs> um, and then also Little chicken feet grabbing the right? corn that's grabbing so the cute corn. i like that um, and then also traditionally families will also offer chicken to deceased ancestors for oh. like other worldly blessings and protection hmm. spring rolls are also another beloved we're gonna um, eat item. great we're gonna be eating great <laughs> yeah. great oh so good <laughs> basically the name spring roll which is chunjin literally just means spring and roll and refers to the spring season <laughs> originally spring rolls were intended to combine all of the season's freshest vegetables together in one dish to celebrate spring mm. and they also kind of resemble gold bars so you're attracting good fortune for the year yeah Noodles, we've talked about this before, yep. but it's representing a long, long life. Yep. It's customary to slurp down the noodle without chewing so the strands aren't severed. But also, they suggest try not to choke if you decide to try this. <laughs> Um, then there's Nyan Gao, which is a gluttonous rice cake. Mm. Or glutinous rice cake. I um, mean, if you eat enough of them. Who's to say it's not going to be a gluttonous rice cake, too? When we were in high school, my friend's little sister was starting to buy, like, gluten-free things because she thought it meant glutton-free, like, oh. it was going to help her diet. Honey, we were like, no. you're so dumb. No. <laughs> she was also maybe like 14. And uh, we were like, well, hey, hey, you're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Who among us wasn't stupid at 14? Right. <laughs> it The Nyang uh, Gao literally translates to New Year's cake. Yeah. Um, but it can also be kind of a pun where it also sounds like tall or grow. So it symbolizes growth, which could be in career, income, health, or literally even height. Nice. And then another popular phrase that uh, accompanies it is nyan nyan gao shen which means to increase prosperity every year then there's also tang yuan which is typically eaten on the 15th day after the new year which is a small round dumpling made from glutinous rice flour which is kind of like mochi mm -hmm. and has uh, also like black sesame paste or red bean paste or date paste or peanut paste so it's mm. basically like yeah, mochi it's like but mochi it's in like a soup Oh, and soup. like it's made out of um like fermented rice wine. Gotcha. So it's that's like a tiny. dessert, a dessert version. Yeah. Fruit is also lucky. So oranges and tangerines are very popular because of their golden color to you know, believe to attract wealth. Got it. And then the Chinese word for orange is also a homophone for success. There's also another word for orange, which sounds similar to the word for good luck. Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot going on there. Okay, and then next I'll talk about Tell me the Okinawan version of Lunar New Year, which is something kind of, like, new to me, because my my family celebrates really more, like, the Japanese Oshogatsu New Year stuff, mm -hmm. so still looking at a lot of, like, the New Year's customs, but instead of celebrating Lunar New Year when it's happening, we just celebrate, like, January, January, 1st. January 1st and December 31st. Yeah. But so, so some things I've learned about Okinawan New Year's customs, well, one, apparently we go by the Lunar New Year. Didn't know. <laughs> Um, the lunar calendar. Um, so there is, there's come a lot of different uh, differences, again, because of the lunar new year calendar and the regular new year calendar. Food is also a big difference. And then there's also a lot of different like ceremonies that happen in Okinawa that don't happen in the mainland. Hmm. So there's, they, the new year itself is called Toshinyuru, which is celebrated according to the date of the lunar calendar. So it could be anywhere between January 21st and February 20th. And that's the same for Lunar New Year anywhere else in Asia. So it's not unusual for Okinawan families to celebrate both the Lunar New Year and regular New Year. You can find basically from like December through January and February this thing called Matsukazari, which is a decorative pine pine. De decorative pine thing. Um, it's like a pine cone, but it has like pine needles and like all these. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're sold at supermarkets and marketplaces during the period. And you'll also find um, bundles of paper being sold with incense, which is called uchikabi, the currency used in the afterlife. And this is a unique custom of Okinawa that serves to look after their ancestors. And then Okinawan people also will make an offering to gods before enjoying a family with their family members. There are some dishes that are for like health and long life and prosperity much like in the chinese list that i just listed mm -hmm. we don't really eat ozoni which is a japanese soup made with mochi that they eat in the mainland but we eat something called osechi which is like a big feast so this will usually have kazunoko which are tiny herring eggs that symbolize success and prosperity for offspring or your own offspring so you eat it so your children will be successful <laughs> um, that's fucked you eat their offspring so your offspring will thrive <laughs> 
Uh, it's like oyako donburi. Yeah, yeah I know. Like chicken and egg. Yeah, oyako means parent and child. Yeah, and so it's literally <laughs> a dish that's like chicken with scrambled eggs. You destroy the entire chicken family for your lunch. It's delicious. It's delicious and very <laughs> metal, but I remember learning like oyako is parent child and I was like, oh, that's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> There's kuromame, which signifies good health arising from hard work. It's made from a sweet, soft black bean that's s- simmered in like a special sweet soy sauce. Mm. And when I had my kuromame last weekend, it also had little gold flakes on it. Ooh, so super fancy. Someone's trying to get some prosperity so this year. Trying to get some prosperity yeah. this year. Then there's tazukuri, which is tiny dried sardines cooked in sake with a variety of seasonings that are served in an anticipation of bountiful catch and rich harvest. Kombumaki is a big, thick piece of seaweed that's stuffed with either salmon or chicken that signifies good luck in the year to come. And then there's either some kind of shrimp that you would eat symbolically to promote a long life, since the whiskers of a shrimp are reminiscent of an old man's beard. Cute. Then there's also the same long noodles for Mm. toshikoshi soba, which is what they eat on the mainland. But in Okinawa, they like to eat Okinawa soba, which is a rich broth made of pork and fish that has soki, which is a simmered rib, or sanmaniku, which is a pork belly that is cut so you see three layers. They also have nakamijiru, which is my favorite soup in Okinawa that's not Okinawa soba, and it's pig intestine soup. Yum! Yum! I... I've said this to some people and they're like, Ugh! and then other people are like, oh yeah, pig intestine's delicious because they eat it in like so many different cultures in the world, but yeah. then there are a lot of cultures that don't eat pig intestine. It's true. And so it's very much like I have to be like, uh, I like pig intestine soup. And then see like how they <laughs> react. See what happens. Yeah. One, one day I will learn how to make it myself. It's just... Is it a process? It's a process. And I'm so scared to do it. And one time when I was younger, like in fourth grade, my friend who was Cambodian, her mom was cooking their variation on like pig intestine stuff. And the smell was so overpowering that I thought I would never eat pig intestines ever in my life. And then I had Nakamijiru in Okinawa without people telling me what I was eating. And then I was like, oh, I like this now. So it was like like three months after this happened, my parents took me to Okinawa. And then I was like, oh, I do like this. And so... It's like pho or any other like deeply aromatic broth. Yeah. Where, like probably at some point in the process you're gonna be like, I never want to fucking eat this. I'm sick of this smell. I yeah. can't. But and then, then it's like, oh, and then you, you eat know, it after it's like just... a, and when it's complete and you're yeah. not working with just pig intestines by itself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's someday like, I'll be brave enough to try to make my own. This is a very apt comparison that isn't at all less culturally relevant. When I make the vegan buttercream for my friend's dairy-free wedding cake, you have to boil chickpea water and sugar, Mm. and it smells disgusting. It smells like hot bean water, and it it's truly gross. But then you make the frosting, and it doesn't taste the way it smells, so it's okay. But, like, the smell of boiling... The aquafaba, the bean water, and the sugar mm. is repulsive. So oh, it's like, no. I don't want to put this anywhere near me. <laughs> Sometimes things that smell bad are actually good. Yeah. You heard it here first, C- folks. Case in point, natto. Fermented Ooh, soybeans. Yeah. Jack and I have stinky meal nights sometimes where he and I don't eat dinner together because one of us goes into one room and eats our favorite stinky food and the other one eats this, the other stinky favorite stinky food so we don't have to be next to each other because the smell of it's, the other person's stinky bad, food is yeah. overpowering. <laughs> uh, I like natto. He likes saba, which is like a canned fish that I just mm. can't get past. I mean, everybody has their own everybody taste and whatever. Everybody has their thing. But objectively, your taste is better. <laughs> Natto is so good and I won't hear Can't anyone fish else. Pass. <laughs> There's also other components that include ina muchiri, which is diced pork in a white miso soup. Rafute, which is a pork belly similar to sanmainiku, but it's even thicker. And it's really rich and like melty in your mouth. Mm. And then kubichiri, which is stir-fried seaweed cooked with pork belly. <laughs> and then also tanmu da- Dengaku, which is a mashed taro potato that's mm. kind of slimy. And then kubu irichi, which is a mimiga. Mimiga is pig ears. It's very crunchy. You put it in salad. It's delicious. Mimi means ears. Yep. <laughs> so I will say Okinawan people, like, really fucking love pork. I was going to say, they eat the whole pig. They you eat, gotta respect in, it. In Okinawa, they eat the whole pig. When you go to a market in Okinawa, you will find pig face mm. and pig feet and everything. Like, I, I think I have had pig face and no one's told me. Because, like, when you see it in the market, it's literally just, like, the skinned pig face. Like, oh, so in, like, it's, uh, like, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, like, like, you can, like, put it on your face and go... <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> but it's like it's like what, what do you call it when you have the packaging that's like airtight vacuum sealed vacuum sealed right and so it's just like this vacuum sealed flat <laughs> pig face yeah that um, would put me off but you don't eat it like in one piece right yeah, so you like, get, like it's, a little it's, bit. it's chopped and like I've had P- Mimi guy before which is the pig ears yeah. so like I know that I've had parts of the pig face <laughs> Um, yeah, that would be the sort of thing where you could not tell me what I was eating. Yeah. Because I couldn't. I couldn't. My mom really <laughs> likes tebichi, which is the pig feet. I've had like a couple of bites of it. It's just very. I really like jello, like sweet gelatins, oh, yeah, yeah. right? But there. And I do like rafute, the pork belly, because it is kind of gelatinous. But there's a point where then it becomes like the super gelatinous part. Oh, and I just yeah, can't get past yeah. like the savory gelatin, like aspics and stuff. I don't like so aspics. I don't I don't like tebichi very much. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so you heard it here first, folks. Sasha loves the pig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. Okay. So there are a couple of traditional performances and like ceremonies as well that I didn't know about, being at that. I've never been in Okinawa in January. But at Shurijo Castle, which just burned down, well, a large chunk of it burned down mm-hmm. in November. So I don't think they did a lot of this this year, or if they did, they moved it to a different location. They have this thing called Chohai Okishiki, Oki, yeah, Chohai Okishiki, which is a New Year's ritual held on the Lunar New Year Day at Shuri Castle. And then I think they moved it up to like the actual New Year's New Year's Day. But basically during the Ryukyu Kingdom era, kings and officials of Ryukyu would align themselves at the Unna and hold solemn and magnificent ceremonies in a very Chinese style because Okinawa is geographically between China and uh, Japan. And so it's like very much a blend of both. Mm -hmm. So there's the Uzagaku performance where after they open the gate to the castle, there are these like very like solemn performers who play music and like chant on the seiden podium to welcome the visitors and then there's the chohai okishiki which is the actual ritual which is in three parts part one is the ninufanu unfue unfue which is a celebration of the new year attended by the king, any government officials, and representatives among the commoners. It was a ceremony to pray to the gods uh, in the heavens for peace and tranquility. And then part two was Chonu Unufe, which is the ceremony that has the various ministers of the kingdom pledge allegiance to the king and at the same time celebrate his life and pray for the prosperity of the Ryukyu kingdom. And then part three was Otori, where the king and the various ministers passed around a cup and drank awamori, which is a very specific Okinawan sake, and gave thanks and pray for the prosperity of the, the, fam- the royal family. Then the king and queen appear, accompanied by the music of the uzaga- uzagaku, and then there's a thing called ryukyu buyo, which is like a dance and performing arts banquet, where like a bunch of performers and dancers from the kingdom would come around and do all their like folk performances. Mm. And then there's a serving of tea and amazake. And amazake doesn't actually have any like alcohol content, even though it has the word sake in it. And then tea, and that's given out to like all of the people who came to the like the commoners and the officials and everyone. There's also this thing called miruku, which sounds like Milk, but it's not. <laughs> That's um, Ginyu. <laughs> the, there's an Okinawan god named Miruku who traveled over the ocean with the rising sun and brings blessings to the people for the year to come. And a representation of Miruku is floated at the head of a parade of Asa drummers who pound their taiko drums and play to accompaniment of sanshin players, which is like a banjo, um, and uh, kimono dancers who shout out in traditional rhythms. And that's usually at Ryukyumura in the common, like in the contemporary era. There's like a park called Ryukyumura where they Mm -hmm. do that. There's also a couple other tributes to creator gods. There's a... At the base of like one particular hill in Okinawa, there's prayers that are written out and ta- tied to pine trees. And there's a shrine dedicated to Shirumichu, which is a male creator god. And then there's another place where there's a fishing port that has like a bunch of flags attached to their ships to, you know, pray for safe journeys and rich hauls of fish. And then there's also another female creator god named Amamichu that's on a tiny coral island that's like kind of off the coast mm-hmm. that people go to as like another oh let's pray for like new year's luck and all that mm-hmm. and then there's one specific thing that some places in okinawa do that's called wakamiji which is the first water of the new year so basically the first water that's drawn in the new year is used to cleanse houses and people and then also make tea for your ancestors and it's supposed to bring back like your strength and restore youth. And then also Okinawan people will use garlic to ward away evil spirits, just like in like 
Western tradition. Garlic is the go-to. Yeah. When you've got evil spirits. Yeah. So it's really <laughs> interesting that like you, th- some people use it in like ritual cleansings or like ritual spirits to get rid ceremonies to get rid of evil spirits during the new year. So like I learned a lot about Okinawa that I had like not known before. Hey. But really a lot of our celebration is around food. Yay. <laughs> so that's, that's what I like to hear. Yay. Yeah. Are you ready to learn about the kind of evil spirits that you may be warding off? Hell yeah. All right. So let's kick this off by talking Because otherwise we're just eating food and putting garlic on our faces. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what's the point? What's the point? So this all came from Wikipedia, MythsInMen.com, Yokai.com, 100MythologyHaiku.blogspot.com, ChinaWhisper.com, Allocation.com, China.org, China-Underground.com, UnimaginableNightmares.blogspot.com. Wow. Did a lot of fucking research. That's a lot. <laughs> I feel like we're going to be learning about a lot of demons right now. We're really not. It's just... Oh, it's just... There's just a there's lot of... There's a lot of... A lot of websites will give you, like, one sentence. Yeah. Which is interesting, but unhelpful. <laughs> so then you got to pull, like, five websites to you get five sentences. One paragraph. Anyway. So we're going to kick it off by talking about Baidze in China from 2698 to 2598 BCE, the legendary yellow emperor Huangdi earned a reputation as a wise and cosmic ruler. While on routine imperial patrol in the east side of his kingdom, Huangdi came across quite a sight. A giant white ox-looking dude the size of a small mountain. It's a pretty big fucking ox. Yeah. Yeah. It had nine eyes. Three of them were on its human-like face and three on each of its flanks. It also had six horns arranged in pairs of the same distribution. So two up top on the human face, two on one side, two on the other. So three faces, six horns, nine eyes. It may also have had two bonus faces on each side to house the extra eyes and horns. So it might just have like floating eyes on its like ribs. Oh God. Or it may have like an extra whole ass face. Hard to say. Sorry, (laughs) the mental picture. Oh, just you wait until Uh I give you the next detail, which is even more bananas. It had somewhere between 17 and 33... Do you want to guess? Penises. That's a great guess. Breasts. Also a great guess. Teeth. It's mustaches. Mustaches. (laughs) Which is confusing because at most it has three mouths. So I don't know where the other mustaches are going or if it's like, if they're like stacked or if they're just like scattered throughout. (laughs) What if they're like on top of each other? Oh, so they're long mustaches? It's like, it's like, it's like like outward. (laughs) Like an elephant, but instead of a trunk, it's mustaches. I feel like it must be, uh, maybe its face is really long, so it goes like one... Two. Oh, three, so like four. It's like but, yeah. instead of like it, it's essentially got layered mustaches. Lay- like when you get layers cut in your hair. Yeah. So like most of it's like I feel like I'm not doing this correctly. But like <laughs> you know the space between your nose and your upper lip. Yes. If you have like your one filtrum. thin mustache and a second thin mustache and a third thin mustache is stacked on top of each. And then you just have layered mystical mustaches. I wish we were filming this so everyone could everyone see, can like, see me Sasha trying to draw all extra of mustaches. 33 mustaches on her face. Anyway, so, Baidze, well, we don't know what this thing is. 17 and 33 mustaches on this thing somewhere. Huang Di was apparently not put off by this. He was like, cool mustaches, bro. What's your deal? And the creature said, well, Zhao Baidze, because he can speak human language, and Courtney can use her extremely rusty Mandarin. My name is Baidze, and I've got news, it said. And then Baidze, whose name literally means White Marsh, dropped some knowledge on Huangdi. About to drop some knowledge (laughs) on you, bitch. (laughs) In all forms of creation, including this one, said Baidze, there are 11,520 types of supernatural creatures. Ah. Just oot in a boot. <laughs> oot in a boot. Oot in a boot, 11,520. That's many. Yes. And I'm assuming that Huang Di was like, that seems like a lot. Because Baiza was like, don't worry. Not only do I know every single one of them, but I also know how to defeat the evil ones. So sit down while I drop this knowledge bomb on you. He's being really helpful. Oh, yeah. He's super helpful he's for like just a... He's like a Wikipedia monster. <laughs> he really, he's like a Chinese Wikipedia monster. Oh, my God. Amazing. Uh, we stand a legend. <laughs> with his 33 mustaches. <laughs> So Huangdi listened and took diligent notes, creating a work called the Bai Zhe Tu. This is the ultimate reference work. No matter who was haunting your house or attacking your village, the Bai Zhe Tu had the information you needed to defeat them. Unfortunately, for those of you in the house who can do math, 
2698 BCE was a long fucking time ago. Yeah, yeah. So the book in its entirety no longer exists. Mm. But fragments of the knowledge it imparts are scattered throughout other works. And because Baidze, as nice as he is, he only pops up when there's a wise emperor at the helm. So it's a pretty sick burn on all of world leadership since 2600 BCE coming from Baidza. Because he's like, no, I said wise ruler. What the fuck is this shit? <laughs> so He'd be so mad at us right He'd now. be so... He, he's just sitting in his afterlife being like, I'd love to tell you guys about the 11,520 monsters, but y'all are dummies, so you don't deserve it. Baidze, interestingly, also pops up in Japanese mythology, where he is called either Hakutaku or Kutabe. Mm -hmm. Hakutaku in Japan has its own form of the Baidze too, called the Hakutaku-zu, which lists each of the 11,520 yokai, what evil doing slash disaster slash general mayhem they bring, and how to defeat them. Per the lore, this info was still imparted to China's Yellow Emperor. It just made its way over to Japan in the big cultural exchange that we know happened. In addition, Hakutaku is purportedly a healing spirit in Japan, based on a legend out of the Toyama Prefecture. In it, Hakutaku appeared on Mount Tateyama and, quote, predicted that a deadly plague would sweep through it in the next few years. To prevent being struck down by plague, Hakutaku recommended to the villagers that they wear its image as a talisman. And so ever since then, Hakutaku has been considered a guardian spirit of medicine. Hakutaku may also eat bad dreams and bad memories. So historically, some people would hang an image of Hakutaku in the entryway of their homes so that they could like banish the bad memories, banish the bad vibes. It is also the inspiration for the Pokemon Absol. Oh! Right? They got rid of the 33 mustaches somewhere along the way. Yeah, but still. But still, like, if you're not familiar with what Absol looks like, it's a cool-looking thing. Yeah, I love Absol. I like its little... Yeah, and it lives in an icy mountain, and it's, you know, very wise and whatever. So, what are some of the 11,520 beasts that Baidza warns us about? Great news. We're going to go through all 11,000. Spoop. Many hours. (laughs) Spoop next 24 hours, motherfucker. You're never leaving. Spoop marathon. (laughs) The spoop marathon. No, we're going to talk about like five. Okay. It's fine. That can be what we do for live stream for the cure. (laughs) As we just keep reading a list of Chinese monsters forever. Some of them I'm sure are lost. Because even on the account, I found one list that had 88 of them. Uh Uh-huh. And that was like the biggest list I could find. So we have what we're doing for live stream for the cure. (laughs) I had an idea for that the other day, and then I oh. promptly forgot it. So that's fine. Anyway, so let's talk about Pikachu, mm-hmm. who is often misidentified as the similar but different monster, the Greek Chimera, or Chimera. Pikachu often has the head of... I'm, I'm very sorry with this pronunciation. As I said, my Mandarin is extremely rusty. I wrote myself down tonal guides, but mm, it's, it's, it's been nine years since I studied Chinese, so I'm hella rusty. Anyway, Pichol has the head of the, a Chinese dragon and the body of a winged lion. So right off the back, it's Baller AF. Baller. It is believed to have light gray fur and one or two antlers, depending on if it is a male or female Pichol. They have extremely sharp teeth and claws, although there is one very, 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 very old stone sculpture in China that depicts the Pichol as having hooves, mm-hmm. but for the most part, claws. Pichol are celebrated in story and song for their battlefield prowess. They also have a reputation for attacking demons and draining their energy and converting said energy into wealth instead. They repel disease caused by evil spirits and are intensely loyal to their masters, both in this world and the next. They routinely guard the gates of heaven to ensure that no demons get in and to make sure that their masters come to no supernatural harm. A creature of both earth and sea, Pichol is seen as an auspicious creature because it has a bottomless appetite for gold, silver, and jewels. Just you wait. It's going to get so bananas. I got really excited That's about this like one. That's like a really expensive diet. Oh, just you haven't oh, the haven't slightest seen. idea. You ain't seen nothing yet. Bubba you ain't baby. seen nothing yet. So people looking to attract wealth will often call upon the Pichu, who can summon it from all directions. Also, like a cat bringing you a mostly dead mouth, Pichu will bring money in its mouth to its master, so it'll, like, go out in a boot, and then it's like, look what I found! Money. Money. It's much cuter than the mostly dead mouse. 
If you're having a bad year, you could also summon Pishu for assistance with your inauspicious zodiac. Hmm. But why does Pishu eat money? Great news. It's kind of hilarious. Oh my god. I saw this on Wikipedia and I was like, this can't be right. Somebody's fucking with me. And then I found different websites that doubled down on it. So I'm pretty sure this is legit. I feel like a lot of our podcast is <laughs> somebody's fucking with me. This can't be right. <laughs> I really hope this is right. Strap in, sugar lump. Millennia ago, the Pishua was chilling in heaven when it violated a cardinal rule. Do you want to guess what the cardinal rule was? I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Great, because it pooped on the floor of heaven. <laughs> what? <laughs> so the Jade Emperor found out and, presumably after asking, did you do this? Did you do this? Bad Pishu. The Jade Emperor gave the Pishu a spanking. Oh, but wait, it gets better. The spanking was so fierce that the Pishu's butthole was permanently sealed. No. Yes. Again, I was like, someone is fucking with me, but also I love this, so I kind of don't care, but they're fucking with me. The Jade Emperor then decreed that the Pishu would only be able to eat gold, silver, and jewels from now on, but given the lack of butthole, it would be unable to expel the valuables, like as part of digestion. So this earned it a reputation of attracting and retaining wealth because it has to eat wealth and it can't poop it out. Oh, God. (laughs) I just... There's also a variation on this legend, though, if this sealed butthole isn't really your thing, that says that the Pishu was the youngest son of the Dragon King and was a total suck-up to the point where its parents spoiled it really bad. One day, Pishu was playing in its father's study and broke a crucial seal that represented the Dragon King's power. Naturally, the Dragon King got upset and used his magic to turn his son into a monster. Once again, he sealed its rectum and said that the Pishu would only be able to eat things that represented power and wealth from then on. So, in both of these legends, no butthole Pishu. Let Pishu poop! <laughs> Let Pishu poop 2K20. I, I, I fart and poop so much. You're not I a Pishu. can't imagine... The how bad that would be. Like, if I don't poop for like a day, I'm like upset. All of us are. Like, this poor poor Pishu. I just I was like, I cannot believe that buttholes are coming up this much in this. Like, again, one of you fucks probably fucked with the Wikipedia page and they were like, oh, I bet this is gonna end up on spoop hour. And it did, and I totally fell for it, but again, I also kinda Let don't care. Pishu poop, you coward! Give him a butthole in 2020! Anyway, Pishu, sans butt, comes in two types. There's the male variety, which is Tianlu, and it has one antler and is officially in charge of wealth. It wanders the world in search of gold before bringing what it finds back to its master. Then you have the female variety, which is Bixie. It has two antlers and it wards off evil. Bixie protects the wealth that Tianlu brings back. Bixie can also repel bad feng shui due to having offended the Grand Duke Jupiter by being born in the year of the rabbit. So if you were born in the year of the rabbit, bad news, the Grand Duke Jupiter hates you. Good news, Bixie can kind of counteract that. Nowadays, you can find a good number of jade pendants with Pishu to wear if you want to counteract your bad stress for the year or any bad vibes you're attracting or just to get that paper. You can also use a Pishuo statue to attract wealth in feng shui. To do this, you need to make sure that you display your Pishu facing out of your house. You can put it directly in a room where you're experiencing the bad luck or loss of fortune. So like if your business is doing poorly, you can put it in your home office to kind of attract good vibes and prosperity to your business. If you want to put Pishu as a doorway, you can but you need to have a pair of them at your doorway, otherwise it's not going to work. You also don't want Pishu placed in a confrontational position to a person or to display them above eye level. So eye level or below. Okay. And be sure to never, ever, 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 ever touch the mouth of the Pishu, otherwise the wealth attraction won't work. So leave their mouth alone because that's where they put the money. If you're not sure if you've seen a Pishu, if you've seen the movie Mulan, you have. That's what's on her sword. Oh... Right? Ah. That thing doesn't have a butthole. <laughs> it's just so upsetting. My, my butt is so unhappy right now. <laughs> I just, I don't know 
why that didn't come up in the Disney movie. Why they weren't like, you know, we got to make sure that everybody knows this thing on her sword doesn't have a butt. All right, are you ready for another monster? This one Please. presumably has a butthole. Okay. This is Xieji. It's another Chinese legendary creature, presumably detailed by Baizi. Xieji is a cross between a dragon, a unicorn, and Law and Order SVU's detective Olivia Benson. Oh my god. What a combination. <laughs> Extremely powerful, right? Whew. It has a unicorn-style horn, so a single antler in the middle of its face, uh-huh. the head of a dragon, a lion's eyes, the torso and waist of a bear, the back of a tiger, horse's hooves, scales, and an ox's tail. You know, that very commonly depicted thing. Normal stuff. Normal. Just normal. You see that every day. Xiezhe uh, is supposedly extremely intelligent and can innately tell the difference between right and wrong, guilty and innocent. Okay. It is a representation of fairness, truth, valor, and righteousness. According to legends, Xiezhe assisted Emperor Shen's minister Gao Yao with disputes and criminal proceedings. When an argument breaks out, Xiezhe will bite the party in the wrong or sometimes cut out the middleman and ram slash gore the guilty party to death. Ah. In modern times, it is engraved on gavels and courts and can be seen on the badges of China's military police. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like a cop. It's mythology creature. That creature's a cop. It's a cop. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. And that came uh, from... Like, that's the Olivia Benson that's part. The Olivia, you were wondering where that was coming in. It's because it's a cop. She, she's a cop. She's a cop. <laughs> and I went for Olivia Benson because, like, she's a good cop. And we like Olivia Benson, but still a cop. She's been known to kick people's asses. Oh, absolutely. That's all she does She's is been known to ass. gouge people with her horns. I mean, we all love <laughs> the parts of SVU where Olivia Benson gets to be her true unicorn self. Right? <laughs> Among us. <laughs> then you also have Mogwe, mm-hmm. who is a monster that for sure popped up in Baidze's masterwork. It is a malicious demon whose goal is to harm humanity whenever possible. When the rains come, so do the Mogwai. Hmm. I mean that, like, literally. They get frisky when the rains are there. Oh, because no. rains represent fertility and prosperity and, like, abundance. So so when the rains come... They come. They also come. Courtney! I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, their name comes from the Sanskrit Mara, which means evil being or death, and Gwe, which I think in Cantonese, I found this on a variety of websites that Gwe means dead spirit, but none of them said in what language. Right. So it's possible it's Sanskrit. I'm On Wikipedia, it said that it's like a combination of Cantonese and something else, so maybe it's Cantonese. I don't know. Gwe means dead spirit. Okay. Generally, Mogwe come back to take vengeance on those who are living that they believe have wronged them. Hmm. They cause these humans pain and discomfort. If you're pained by a mogwe, your only recourse is to burn paper money so that the mogwe can go back to the afterlife being hella rich, and then they're satisfied. They just want that paper. And good news, fake paper money works just as well if you're uncomfortable about setting money on fire. Oh. Yeah, so you can get fake banknotes. Because, uh, that's my money. <laughs> yeah. I worked hard for that mogwe, but also mogwe is like, those are nice legs you have. Be a shame, shame if something, something happened, happened to him. So you burn some money and then it goes away. Does mogwe sound like a word you kind of know? Yes. It's because they are loosely the inspiration for the mogwai, the titular creature from the 80s movie Gremlins. Ah. And remember, don't get them wet. Because when they get wet, they multiply. And that's straight out of the Chinese mythology. That actually, wow. Right? I was like, of all the things... That the gremlins could be based off of... <laughs> this is... Because they do call them mogwai in the movie. Yeah. Huh. This is them. Wow. <laughs> My pop culture brain just, like, exploded. You're welcome. Huh. I saw that and I was like, wait, wait a, a minute. minute. Then you also have Shen, which is the Chinese mythology monster that I probably have to look out for most. Shen is a clam monster that is really a shape-shifting sea dragon. Shen in classical Chinese lit means a large shellfish, which is what makes it a pass for me because I'm allergic to clams. Fun yeah, fact about uh-uh. me as a person. Can't do it. So fuck you, Shen. Shen is believed to cause mirages and can miraculously change both its shape and the shape of things around it. So obviously it's kind of a mischievous dude. Shen has several subspecies of mirage causers beneath it, including Chue, a sparrow that changes changes into an oyster after 1,000 years. A yan, which is a swallow that turns into a haiga. I don't know what a haiga is. Everything just said, this sparrow turns into a haiga. Like you're supposed to know what a haiga is. And I'm is. like, 
okay. And then I tried to Google it and it's like, Haiga business in China. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no. Not what I want. No. What did you name yourselves? Is it somebody's name? Does it turn into that? I don't know. I'm sorry. And a fule, which is a bat that turns into a quaiga when it gets old. Hmm. What's a quaiga? Couldn't tell you. Googled it. Unaffective. Quaiga? I didn't know her. Uh, Shed have a reputation for attacking cattle in rivers and for bringing rain when it's when it appears. So if you see one, probably not a good thing. Shen is also closely affiliated with funerals because the character for Shen is a component of the words for hearse and mausoleum. I need to ask. I have a former student whose name is Shen. I need to ask him. Yeah, this is he, Shen Fourth Tone. Okay, so I want to ask him how he's planning on writing his name. <laughs> if it means hearse or mausoleum. <laughs> And then, finally, it wouldn't be a true ghost story culture without a terrible lady ghost. Oh, good! Terrible lady ghost, our favorite. Yep, so this is the story of Ba Jiao Gui. Is she a queen? I mean, she's not not a queen. Okay, we'll find out. Also, she reminds me of my favorite word in Chinese, which is Xiang Jiao Pingwo, which means an apple that tastes like a banana. It's my favorite Chinese <laughs> word. Because I'm like, I love that this is a concept you needed to express. It's Xiang Jiao Pingwo. So it's Ba Jiao Gui. And I believe Ba, if I remember correctly, Ba means woman. Mm-hmm. And then Gui, as we learned earlier, is dead spirit. The Ba Jiao Gui is a female ghost that lives in banana trees and sometimes appears at night carrying a baby. Super chill. Except Ba Jiao Gui usually spends its nights sobbing and wailing to try to summon people closer to it. Oh. Though what it does to them once they're nearby is unclear. It's just kind of general spooky. Maybe don't go near the screaming thing in the tree. The banana tree specifically. You know. Also, I respect that she lives in banana trees. I also love bananas and would love to live in a tree. In Thailand, Malaysia, and Singapore, the Ba Jiao Gui has a very specific form of precognition. Some greedy people will try to trap the ghost to get... Winning lottery numbers from it. To do this, you tie a red string around the banana tree trunk where your Ba Jiao Gui lives. You stick some sharp needles into the trunk, and then you tie the other end of the red string to your bedpost, and then you wait. That night, the Ba Jiao Gui will appear to you and beg to be set free in exchange for the winning lotto numbers. But beware, if she gives you the lotto numbers and you use them to win the lottery and get a bunch of money, and then you forget to set her free... You will meet with a horrible death. Yeah, I was gonna say, the fuck is your problem? Yeah, fucking let her go. Also, why are you trapping her in the first place? Stop she trapping just, ladies. Twenty twenty. She's <laughs> trying to just live her own life. Yeah, with it's her not your fault. Banana that you have baby. Bad, bad luck. Yeah, Jeez. like you know, whom among us not wins the fault. lottery? It's not her problem. It's not her problem that you have bad luck. How many mythology ladies do we have to trap before we learn it's a bad idea to trap mythology ladies? Apparently the limit does not exist. It's a rhetorical yeah. question because we're just going to keep doing it forever and exactly. ever and ever and ever and ever. But come the fuck on. And so those are some of the 11,520 mythical beasts that Baiza warned us about. And the reason why I want to talk about Baiza is in December, I went to, in Durham, North Carolina, mm-hmm. they have a Chinese lantern festival mm-hmm. for the holidays. You took really cute photos. I had a great time and they had a Baiza there. And I was like... What's, and they had like little. And was it a good boy? He was a very good boy. I'll post the, the picture on the Instagram. Because, like, look at this majestic motherfucker. He's so majestic. He's so majestic. And so they had little, like, descriptors of, like, what each thing was. So it's like, this is a phoenix. This is what it means in Chinese culture. This is what the Japanese call a kitsune. We have a different name for it, but it's got nine tails. This is its deal. And then Baidza, it's like, it created a guide to the 11,520 types of supernatural creatures and how to overcome their hauntings. And I'm like, Oh, fuck, are you telling me that China has a monster that is a monster hunter? That's baller AF. So, shout out to Baidza. Baidza! Baidza! Respect. And then you had, like, majestic motherfuckers like that, bro. What I'm excited to do, like, okay, so Persona 5 is coming out with, like, a re-released, like, new version of the game in a couple, like, next month. Yeah. And... There are so many yokai and, like, other, like, legendary beasts from different cultures that are, like, in that game. Now that I'm going to be playing it for, like, a second game, a second time with, like, new knowledge about, like, mythical creatures, I'm really excited to see if, like, 
maybe Baiza is in it, or maybe like any yes. of these other characters are, or these creatures are in it. Yeah. I'm really excited. This is the picture. I don't remember the Chinese That's name so for it, but dope. it's the Kitsune. Isn't it so cool? Oh, oh so I had a blast. Cool. There were some really, they had silly oh, pandas. I love lantern stuff. It was good. That's so cool. Anyway, I think it's gone now, so even if you oh, are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah gone, one of, though, so, someone else. I know posted photos from that, and I think they went out to Durham. Or there's yeah. something in Virginia Beach that's like kind of similar. Yeah, this it's like a. They, I think they tour it, mm-hmm. and there's also like a show component and mm-hmm. whatever. But that's it is cool. it was fun. So yeah, now you know what to be on the lookout for Chinese mythology wise, and you know how to properly ring in the Lunar New Year if a little bit late. Woo. So happy New Year, happy week. Happy New Week! Happy New Week! It's uh, we're t- recording Tuesday again, no problem. It is, and we're recording this on Groundhog's Day. The groundhog did not see its shadow, which means spring is coming six weeks early. But Good. he's only right 40% of the time. But I was going to say, currently so, it is... 43 degrees. So, Punxsutawney Phil, you're kind of full well, of shit. Well, it's supposed to be 51 degrees high today. Oh, that's and This true. afternoon is going to get warmer. Yeah. It's and a- then tomorrow it's going to be like upper 60s. So, I'm going to get a migraine. Ooh. Yay! Anyway... Punk Satani feels a real punk, Satani. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Have a great week, you guys. We hope nobody curses you and takes away your butthole, because that's a bummer. <laughs> Buttholes for bummer. everyone, 2020. That's our political campaign. You can take that to the bank. Also, if you haven't checked it out yet, we were interviewed on podcasts we listen to. That episode is live now. Mm-hmm. So you can go check that out. Podcast we listen to, I believe, is on all the podcatchers. Mm-hmm. PWLT. PWLT podcast, yep. And it comes right up. You can hear us talking about podcasting and what it means to us to hear from you guys and like what things we would take to a desert island. So go check that out. Thank you for all your support, as always, at Spoop Hour on Twitter and Instagram, spoophour at gmail.com. Patreon.com slash spoophour. And send us your screenshot of your donations to the Chinese, wow. Wow, Australian. Australian wildfire relief. And I will potentially buy you a Spoop Hour shirt. Have a great week, y'all. Poop. (laughs) Hi, I'm Lainey, host of the True Crime Fan Club podcast. If you're a true crime addict like I am, then my show is for you. I'll peel back the curtain and give you a glimpse into the life and crimes of some of the most demented minds. Check out the episode Broken Bonds and listen to a brother reveal a deeply held secret. Or hear about the day that the heavy metal community will never forget in the episode Dimebag. These episodes are just a sample of our catalog, so you have plenty to binge. Just search for True Crime Fan Club Podcast and any podcatcher. You won't want to miss an episode. That is really a shape-sifting... Shape-sifting... Shape-shifting. Shed is a clam monster that is really a shape-shifting sea dragon. Try saying that four times. Shape-shifting sea dragon. Shape-shifting sea dragon. Shape-shifting sea... See? It's hard. It's hard. (laughs)